Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. It should go without saying. I'd like to offer a special welcome to anyone new who may be listening to the podcast, who suddenly become interested in things I have to say publicly. Welcome to all of you. And joining me this evening is our resident AFL expert and the next Prime Minister of Great Britain, Cameron MacDonald. How are you, Cameron? <laughs> oh, what an introduction. I just saw a video of them uh, of them playing yakety sacks out the front. So there's <laughs> Apparent- a few- Few Apparently. ways we can timestamp this uh, being a live podcast, or, or or coming up immediately after the uh, the cats and the demons, and that is that it's absolute madness in the UK. Apparently, that that was played outside uh, the Palace of Westminster, the British Palace of Parliament, at the request of Hugh Grant. So. <laughs> He, Magnificent. He of the hijinks. Yes, we're now we're now we're doing our annual thing where we get together immediately after a Thursday night um, to have a bit of chat about that game and maybe touch on another couple of issues. We're at about the two thirds of the way mark through the season, so we are due a chat. Uh, for those joining in who, for some reason, listen to this podcast but don't know the score of the game between Geelong and Melbourne, the Cats go to the top of the ladder. With a 28-point victory, 12-19-91 to Melbourne, 9-9-63. What did you make of that, Cameron? There's, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of sides you can take on this one because um, it would be be silly to um, not notice the improvement in Geelong. Um, and also it would be silly to jump completely on their bandwagon after, after, you know, uh, 10 plus years of, of dominant home and away footy and, and plenty of time spent at the absolute, um, top of the ladder. Um, but they, they dominated tonight. And so I I think the story is, is, is arguably, is arguably Melbourne. Um, who who got a win at the Cattery in, in round 23 last year to secure a top spot, um, but could only manage nine goals tonight. Um, they're just not humming forward of centre. And, uh, you know, four losses in the last six uh, points to some genuine issues, even though I, I spent a little while thinking it was just a little mid-season lull uh, like they had last year. Um, they certainly got some things they'd like to correct. How about you? Well, I mean, just on the game itself, Geelong having 66 inside 50s to 46 and 31 scoring shots to 18, I think on the balance of play, yes, the scoreline flattered Melbourne somewhat. And I think if they had found, somehow found a way to win, win that game, and it might have been a little bit different had Pickett not hit the post there about halfway through the last quarter. Uh, to level the scores, but things might have gone differently from there. These two teams average almost exactly the same number of inside 50s per game this season. So for them to be a 20 20 inside 50 differential is significant and noteworthy. Um, I think if somehow Melbourne had managed to steal that game, I think the story would have been Melbourne can play like that and go to Geelong and win. Maybe we just need to all temper our enthusiasm for an opportunity to win a premiership. Um, yeah, Geelong were dominant tonight. My two takes out take outs of that game are Geelong are going to finish top. Um, 
because they I think they have the softest draw of any of the really teams at the pointy end of the ladder, and they are now top of the ladder, um, waiting the res- later results of the round. Brisbane and Fremantle can both join them on wins. Um, but the other takeout, I, I would say, is there are nine teams that can win the premiership. Nine. So nine. who have you left out? Um, the bottom nine on the ladder at the moment. So I, I, my enthusiasm for Geelong is tempered in exactly the same way for exactly the same reasons, as in we've seen this before and they get to finals and they're no longer playing in Geelong and they can't get the job done. Um, the the argument against that this year is the form of Cameron and Hawkins, but they didn't do an awful lot tonight, either of them. So that's interesting. But um, I'm pretty much not putting a line through any teams that have nine wins or more so far this season. Yeah, considering there's a whole bunch of them playing each other in the last six or seven rounds. So the teams I'm putting through a line through are, um, I don't I don't think the Bulldogs are going to make the finals. Um, if the Gold Coast were going to make the finals, they needed to find a way to win last week against Collingwood. Um, Port Adelaide are probably going to be the team that no one wants to play in the, the last seven weeks, but they're not going to play finals. And um, GWS are two games behind Port Adelaide. So GWS... Adelaide, they're probably math, almost mathematically out of it already. Hawthorne, Essendon, West Coast, and North Melbourne. That leaves the current top eight. Geelong, Melbourne, Brisbane, Fremantle, Carlton, Collingwood, Richmond, Sydney, and St Kilda, who are in ninth, who you could, who I think we might put a line through them after Saturday, the coming Saturday night, depending on what happens. But if they knock off Fremantle for a second time this season... There's all of a sudden a couple of sides there that you don't really want to play in the run home. I'll, I'll throw I'll throw West Coast at home and um, and Essendon into that equation all of a sudden, along with mm. Port, who, um, you know, and it often happens where a, a season looks like a complete write-off and then, you know, suddenly the, the worm begins to turn. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it's good to see because that – you know, you don't want um, the season is so extraordinary, where where there were as many as as twelve or thirteen teams fighting, genuinely fighting for the eight this late in the piece, um, because there are there were three or four sides that were absolutely terrible, um, and there's really only one now. If you'd like that to be a nice segue into uh, into the North Melbourne Footy Club. Oh, geez, um, it's. It's as bad as I can remember seeing it. Um, you know, I think last week, Saturday night at the Cattery, and, you know, many a team's gone down there and it's gotten away from them. But what is it, 11 straight losses by at least 47 points, which is the first time I think that's ever happened. Their percentages in GWS first year, Fitzroy last year territory. And... They haven't really played a good game since the Sydney game, which I think was in round four. Um, and I just, I don't know where the worm turns this way. I mean, I, my inclination is that 
in the normal course of events, conventional wisdom would suggest that Collingwood might have their hands full this week, that the the performance that comes from your garden variety, really ordinary team, there's one or two games down the last seven or eight games of the season where they come good and they they might win, they might not, but they'll be they'll be hard to beat. And um, Collingwood have had trouble with North over recent times against the run of form, but there's no in, there's no indication that that's about to happen. No, it's uh, <laughs> the team playing North is a safe bet, but the difficulty for if you're a North fan is, you know, in our preseason. Uh, footy podcast we we both sort of looked at north you know without any great sense of optimism but we felt there were a couple of things that while you might not see a whole heap of wins if you're if you're a north melbourne supporter there was probably enough that you'd be able to hang your hat on after Mm. a couple of performances last year that were excellent um i can recall a a win against west coast in the wet uh over there that was just magnificent where you saw the best of Jaden Stevenson and um, some of their on-ball brigade really sort of started to hum. Um, There's very, very little uh, to feel positively about this year. Um, If you're going to have nine inside fifties for a half, then, you know, you can't really get excited about Nick Larkey. And um, the conversation suddenly is about players you can, really good really good young players based on previous seasons that you can sort of pick away from north melbourne uh, horn francis the, the com, you know is in the conversation uh, for leaving and looks a very frustrated young man um i mean i the, can i can attest to that um having seen them in person just before the bye um horn francis his body and north melbourne were terrible that day um, but they still got beat by nine goals. But they were there. There were some nice passages, um, you know, far from their worst performance this year. But Horn Francis's body language through the course of the game, which wasn't entirely picked up by the cameras, um, was pretty ordinary. He was getting, you know, pretty demonstratively angry at his teammates. Yeah, um, which is not a situation you want from a bloke who's been at a club, you know, about twelve minutes. So. No, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you 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 sort of look at him and you you don't really know what you want from him this year. Like, do you want him to just be happy he's getting senior games, or do you want the the decay of the environment to have got to him so brutally so quickly? Um, it's it's very strange. Um, and 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 then you start hearing comparisons to to Nathan Buckley. I won't really have that because I don't I can't recall him ever um, carrying on like a pork chop. In in, no, and in, in this fashion, and Brisbane won four out of twenty games this season. Buckley played at Brisbane, mm. so it's not like they were a super competitive outfit in nineteen ninety three. But Buckley performed exceptionally well. He, he was in what still might be the all time uh, rising star class. Mm. Um, that that first class in ninety three: Heard, Buckley, Voss, Everett, Neats. I mean. And, and I'm probably forgetting six or seven blokes who are in that class, uh, <coughs> um, was hands down the consensus pick to win the Rising Star that year. Um, Went close enough and, to winning the Brownlow and, and, and just never never really dropped his head. No. Um, that this is, I mean, I can understand where the, 
why the media ran with it. But um, Despite the fact that it was the worst-kept secret in football right throughout that year that he was there for the year and then he was gone. Yeah, correct. You know, it was, so it wasn't that's... speculation. They, everyone knew Buckley was leaving Brisbane at the end of the year when he when he first ran on the field in round one. So, that's it. And if that's what ends up happening, I, I reckon the champions of the game have found a way to keep a level head through that year. You know, and I can also reference Dangerfield leaving Adelaide and the kind of year he put together at Adelaide, despite most people being aware he was out the door and back to Geelong, um, was arguably his best season that he played. Um, so, but yeah, the, the point is, you know, it's it's ter- it would be terribly sad for North Melbourne if, if other clubs came and, and picked the carcass apart because to watch Taron Thomas run around as well is... It, is brutal. It's so, so sad to see this guy running around and, and, and getting two possessions because, you know, he was one of the guys that coming into this year, I was genuinely excited about, mm. um, you know, a lot LDU's had a, had a reasonable year and, you know, Simpkins clicking along, I suppose, but that, you know, you, you really felt like that <laughs> next wave of midfielders and, and they had specifically built their list that way. You know, we, we knew they were in for some heartache. We know year two of a rebuild's not nice, no matter what. Um, but th- those little glimmers of hope that, that you that you might hang your hat on, um, their next wave of midfielders and, you know, and, and all of a sudden, every single draft pick they've taken is is under the microscope. And, and the, the, the sort of classic one that everyone's referencing is Will Phillips over Logan McDonald, who, who looks every bit like a... Um, a very handy key forward replacement. Um, Will Will Phillips not not necessarily even playing senior footy. So, um, you know, and, and then the whole rec- the, the moment I sort of sat up and took notice with North Melbourne was the entire recruiting team walking out the door. Um, extraordinary that that three of them would leave in um, in the same week, and and very hard to justify. So, you know, I think the the whole place is in is in turmoil. I, just on the Will Phillips, uh, Logan McDonald thing, I, that that goes against my rule, which is don't play the oh this guy got picked ahead of this bloke. If the bloke that you're talking about that was picked ahead of your bloke was picked by Geelong or Sydney, because it doesn't matter who they pick, they coach them up, and they're all you know they wouldn't have been as good if you had picked them. So, ah, uh, but the fact remains, punter, that you know we're talking about a a, a small sized midfielder which is, you know, in, in some in some regards like a dying breed versus that that absolute first-round key forward talent, which we all knew Logan McDonald to be prior to the draft. Uh, Jamara Hagen goes pick one, and you, you, you don't have access to him. But Logan McDonald is that next guy, um, that guy who's lit up the waffle as, a, as an underage um, kid. It just, you know, and... and it's been justified by North Melbourne to say they were building from the inside out. They were, they wanted to get their midfield in order and, and hence why they've picked so many midfielders. And they also felt like they had Larky and Zerhar up forward and, and that that was a handy one-two punch. Well, I just don't think you can ignore a player like that. Not to mention the currency that a, that a genuine centre-half forward carries if he does want to leave your club. Um. Right now, if you if another club came for Taron Thomas, they'd probably get him for unders because he's had he's had a terrible year by anyone's standard. Um, 
and and you know clearly needs something to to give his football a boost. Um, yeah, and in some ways, as much as you'd like to see those talented guys come to your club, you don't want to see that happen uh, while it destroys another. We both had Hawthorne finishing below North Melbourne in our preseason preview. I finally found that. So yeah, well, we owe Hawthorne somewhat of an apology. <laughs> they're they're um. Their first, uh, their first little chunk of the season was very impressive, and and they've they've claimed a scalp or two, and Mitchell's playing exciting football with them. They they can bleed a little bit, but oh uh, uh, yeah, I tweeted about that uh, a few weeks ago when they were when they played the Bulldogs and they couldn't sustain it. It reminds me a bit of um, Essendon under Knights. You know, there's, there's there's been this long successful storied coaching career that's that's come to an end at a club. And in comes a new coach, and Sam Mitchell has a distinctive advantage here that he's a Hawthorne person that Matthew Knights did not. But mm. he's come in and they've just, just and he's implemented a, a really attacking open brand of football. And I just I want I I I want I hope that for Hawthorne's sake that um you know the people who make decisions about who coaches Hawthorne they sort of grit their teeth and hold their nerve. Um. And sort of back him in for in the medium term because um, Essendon couldn't do that. You know they got to that third year under Knights and Knights's record as coach looked pretty comparable to James Hurd's record as coach um, in terms of win losses at the end of the day. But yeah, you know, they just couldn't. The, you know the Essendon faithful and that translated to the Essendon board and. The administration they just couldn't keep their nerve with a team that played that could be opened up so much and scored so scored on so easily because of the brand of football they were trying to play. So, and it's an interesting thing, you know, because it, it's pretty easy to hold Hawthorne up against Collingwood this year, and and obviously, um, pretty easy for me to comment on Collingwood. I watch a lot of us, but um, McRae is a first year coach, um, you know similarly in those first couple of rounds looks to be go forward at all costs, extremely attacking footy, um, you know, and not dissimilar to the, to the fashion that, that um, Mitchell's Hawks were playing. Um, And then at some point we've, we've found this like delightful balance uh, between defense and attack um, where we we're still capable of scoring, although it's probably dropped away a little bit, but we've become this supreme defensive side, um, which is, I, I suppose, probably ingrained from the Buckley era, but there is a really nice balance there for a first year coach um, when to press go and, and when to defend that, you know, seemingly has come about very quickly. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the, the hunger will be there for, for, um, supporters of opposition clubs to kind of find that balance as quickly as you can. Um, so, yeah, to your point, you know, but you would think a club champion like Mitchell will get a little longer. Mm. Now, before we move off North Melbourne, I'm just wanted your thoughts about how they're going to turn this around. Um, what, 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 what can the league do um, for such a, an uncompetitive outfit is, there, there, are, there are a number of ideas floating around. It's obviously a priority pick. There's the, you know, two birds with one stone, Eddie Maguire slash John Elliott, Sydney Carlton merger solution, which is move North Melbourne to Tasmania, and then they can play all their matches in two venues. 
Um, which is sort of ridiculous. I just wanted to talk about it because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, um, hate, I hate that. I hate <laughs> it. But I'm on the record. Um, the, the, the era of automatic priority picks, you win five or fewer games, you get an extra pick right after your first round pick. Um, was also the era of the greatest parity in the AFL. And, you know, the 2000s, every team played in a prelim. Then we, then we, then we all got gun shy. You know, we, we, we got scared of the idea of tanking. Um, there was a couple of games that weren't a great look, but I think mountains were made out of molehills. The priority pick was gotten rid of. The two new franchises were brought in and, you know, now we see teams go prolonged periods without really being competitive. At the same time, we saw tonight uh, Geelong have missed the fi- – well, they're going to play finals this year, obviously. So they've missed the finals twice in 19 seasons. Sydney, if they make finals this season, they've got to miss finals, I think, four times in 26 seasons. Mm. Um, they're not taking their turn on the bottom. And uh, Richmond have been up for a decade, and uh, Collingwood play finals this year. They'll have been up for a little while now. Um, but some of the other teams just can't. Um, I mean, North Melbourne have been down for a while now. Got, I mean, as promising as they've looked this year, the Gold Coast haven't really turned it around yet. I see. I mean, yeah, I, look, North Melbourne... I'd be happy to see them receive a priority pick, and I think they will. But there's no doubt that they made their bet. They were a relatively successful club there for a chunk of time um, and and found their way into profit under under Brayshaw and um, you know and had some had some pretty decent years there where they refused to bottom out. But in doing so, they held on to some veterans for a very long time, uh, and 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 once it once the ass fell out of it, it was so dramatic. Um, they're a case study in what not to do, as far as this management's concerned. So, you know, I don't think it's happening to them necessarily because they're North Melbourne. You know, they've they've sort of been the club that famously punches above their weight. Um, and and you know have done so since the seventies, um. So, you know, it, it, it's a it's an awful era, um, but you you just start with the right people because I you know it's not it's not com- it's not completely different from you know Brisbane Brisbane were an absolute basket case, um, going back not so long ago, um. And you get the right people um, into a club, uh, you can, yeah, it can turn. It, it can I'd, turn. I'd rather they were just given the priority pick. I know, I know a lot of the commentary around them just getting a priority pick is it wouldn't matter how many picks they got if they're, you know, they're useless, but. Interesting, uh, interesting on Footy Classified, I think, on Monday night, they show when Caroline Wilson was breaking the story about the AFL's considering direct intervention. Mm. And they showed the three clubs who, to whom they directly intervened. It's Melbourne. Yep. 
going all right. Um, Brisbane, um, who you just talked about, also, you know, I think the one thing they've missed in the last five years is ability to win finals, and that's basically it. Mm. Um, and the Gold Coast, um, yep. who have started to clearly turn the corner this year, and yeah, just, I think they have. Certainly Saturday night, just but I, I watched that game, just lacked composure at the end of the game. But uh, I mean, you you if you said if before the start of the year, and we probably did do this, but mm-hmm. Ben King out for the year. How are Gold Coast going to go? You wouldn't have had a bar of them, and then and then they're going to go two and five, and then they're going to put a string of wins together, and you know, genuinely threaten for the lower half of the eight. I think Gold Coast have been magnificent this year. They have, but I mean, mm. I've secured a play them in round five, and at no stage in that game, and I, we won by four goals, I think. So it wasn't a blowout, but at no stage of that game was I worried about us losing the game. Um, so even back then, even 10, 12 weeks ago, three months ago, I wasn't I wasn't that concerned. But they're better now than they were then. Um, this is what worries me as a St Kilda supporter, is it almost becomes it almost becomes transactional. Really, really become a basket case. The AFL will directly intervene and things will turn around superbly. But if you're just garden variety ordinary, <laughs> then you're just condemned to to be that forever. You, I mean, which is which is was the case in that era too. You had to be really bad to get your priority pick. Um, but it know, was you had to be worse than you were. But That's it was what, that was the whole tanking argument. It was objective. It was a number. It, it yeah. didn't involve the AFL making a decision. They just like here's the bar, and you are for whatever reason, you pass it or you don't pass it. If you don't get over f- five wins, you get an extra pick. Yeah, so I just don't, yeah. I don't like this idea that the AFL is like this is a bad look because I think I can speak for most St Kilda supporters when I when I when I the 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 alternatives for us are what's happening at the moment, which is we're nine and six and not in the eight. And we're all right. And last Friday night was was good, but it was a really good game between two good, not great teams. And there's probably ten teams that are good and not great at the moment in the AFL, mm. and that's fine. Um, or we go down the where Mel, where Melbourne have gone, where Brisbane have gone, where the Gold Coast have gone, and where North Melbourne are now. But when it comes our turn, we won't get bailed out. We'll get shipped off. Well, and, why would that happen? Why would that happen to the Saints and not to North? Oh, it's not a rational thought. It's just, you know, you become conditioned to the worst possible scenario happening. <laughs> but, you know, every yeah. team that existed in the AFL when I was born has won a premiership except the one I barracked for. Yeah. So, you know, we actually, actually this, you know, a month ago, a, and I forget who it was, but one of the, one either Fox footy or SEN or something, I actually put up, a poll in all sincerity asking people if Carlton was their second team. And I'm just like, I can remember vividly what I did on grand final day last time they won a premiership. I, you know, like I was 15, but for the love of Mike, <laughs> everybody's had a turn. Everybody's had a, you know, everybody's drunk from the well. And once, you know, once you get to that point, where you just think like, oh well, yeah, there are there are larger forces at, at play here, and why it won't be us. 
Um, they, oh, listen. You start to you start to expect the worst to happen all the time. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely a there's definitely a feeling around that club, but, um, you know, like <laughs> Melbourne have been through all of that. The Dogs have been through all of that. The Swans went through all of that. Geelong went through all of that. So it's like it stands to reason that in your lifetime you'll see a relatively dominant era if you don't recruit Jordan Degoe. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I'm not speaking rationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um so you're suggesting Secure should not recruit Jordan Degoe. I'm I'm pretty strong on that. Yeah. Fair not, enough. Not, we... not because he shouldn't leave, not because I want him to stay at Collingwood. Um or you know, I, I I just feel like, of course, it's of course it's them with their hand up, and and some ridiculous figures, you know, and and uh, they're not they're not batting that away. I just feel like some clubs need to bat that away, you know. There's there's a bit of there's there's a, a tiny there's a little whisper around Tex Walker leaving leaving Adelaide, and Collingwood needs to bat that away. That you you just you don't need to invite a troubled good player to your footy club. Um, like yeah, I, I just think it, it would be an overspend to spend anything like eight hundred thousand dollars on Jordan Degoe, having lived through it. I just, um, I, I, I just want to say something that I'm, I'm sure someone listening will take issue with, but I'm just going to say because this is how I feel. Um, there wasn't until the very last game, which was his, which was his last game, and and after he, after there have been so many moments that I'd watched in person and on television, which I enjoyed at the time. But the last, the, the last half, the, you know, the last half of Stephen Mills last season was pretty much unenjoyable um, because of what had happened and mm. things were coming to a head and charges were laid and all that sort of stuff. And uh, mm. as I've said on Big Footy without, you know, being too committal or anything like that, committed or anything like because I don't get to make the decisions and you, you know, you're barracking for laundry to a certain extent, but um, I feel pretty conflicted having him on yeah. my team. Yeah, it yeah. just it wouldn't feel great. Yeah, and 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 I think there's it's it's almost worse for the club that recruits him because mm. you you go out and you you pay more to that guy than anyone else on your list, um, and you know you know about all of it. When we drafted Jordan Ngoi as an 18-year-old, um, we knew nothing. And then, you know, most football players stay at that club. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sold either way on what should happen to him. But if I'm St Kilda, I'm not recruiting him. Fair enough. Um, what about, what about Dacos? How much would, how much do we would we have to offer for? Dacos. <laughs> Here's the deal, Cameron. You can speak for as long as you want about uh, young Dacos at the moment, right? But the the price is you have to endure a father son rule rant at the yeah. completion of your waxing lyrical. Yeah, well, I'm ready for that, and and it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a great segue for you actually because I think I think I'm watching the closest thing to Gary Ablett Jr. since Ooh. Gary Ablett Jr. And I know that that's I know that's enormous. And the caveat here is actually that you know if we're talking about the you know for me personally, I love Gary Ablett Jr. as a player. But for me personally, like I'm a Judd guy and I'm a Fife guy. I I love the guys that 
will run through a brick wall and, and not like, you know, balk the brick wall. Um, but if we're talking about smooth mover, if we're talking about a guy who seems to be playing a different game at times, and if we're talking about a guy who's actually got a leg up on Gary Ablett for the four or five ordinary years that, that Gary Ablett began his career with, um, uh, we're watching something so, so special. He, he's Collingwood's best player. This, in, during this six uh, weeks of winning that, that we're just going through at the minute with North come, it, it, it's absurd what he's doing. Um, stop the clock right now. I think he's an All-Australian, the rising star, uh, and, you know, I, I don't know by what metric he's not top three in our best and fairest. He'd be he'd he'll give it a shake, and um, there's going to be enough people kind of saying, "Oh, he's he's seagulling around in the in the half back line." But um, geez, wouldn't everybody like one? And and it, I think he he's shown nothing to indicate that he wouldn't just roll into the middle and start having those forty five and threes that that Gary Ablett was capable of. So where, um, where is he in the All Australian team? Is he on a back flank? Oh yeah, he's played back flank all year, um, okay. and so I think Jack Sinclair's probably on one, and I think Adam Saad probably um, finds his way into the team um, as another small defender. Um, so if you if you need to play a utility, then I don't mind if Nick Dacos ends up on the bench. But the 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 weeks of football that he's put together, um, I, I, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything like it. Now here's a trivia and, question for you, uh, Cameron. There have been three unanimous Rising Star winners in terms of have polled the maximum number of votes. Mm. Um, your little clue is they didn't release the votes before Michael Wilson won in 97. So we don't know if Buckley, Chris Scott, Nick Holland, or Ben Cousins were unanimous. I suspect Nathan Buckley probably was and mm. possibly Cousins. Mm. Um, can you name the three? Judd. Judd didn't win the Rising Star. Really? Yeah. He, he got beat by some bloke named Revolt. Oh, uh, well, then was Revolt unanimous? Revolt wasn't unanimous. Judd got one of the five votes. So Revolt <laughs> was one vote off unanimous. And I remember writing something very witty on some long disappeared website <laughs> when I was 22 at the time. Uh, so, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm, I haven't made a very good start then. Um, Sam Walsh? Sam Walsh was one vote off being unanimous. So there's a there's a number of players who've been one vote off being unanimous. So who got the vote? I'm not sure about that one, but he got 54 out of 50. They were up to 11 voters at that stage. So mm. oh, no, you'll have to give the, to me. I'm gonna have to look. Let's look up the. We can look this up. 32. The article on AFL.com is Blue Jet wins Rising Star, but it's not unanimous. So let me just mm-hmm. um it'll be someone I think it was <laughs> I think it was Connor Rosie. Right. He finished second. So I'm just gonna assume he got was the Kane Corns voting. <laughs> <laughs> almost, he's he's uh, gone with it again certainly. as well. He's gone with it again. He said, you know, that he had a I mean I I have to I'll I'll say I actually love Kane Corn's work in the media. Like, um, it could easily it could easily tip and and go to a bad place. But unless he's having a go at your club, he's magnificent. Like, 
he, he he's got a strong opinion and he rolls with it. And um, he got me rolled up when he started talking about Jack Ginevan and then he, he was happy enough to say that he was wrong and he bleached his hair and like if he's he's a star in the media. Um, um, they have absolutely got the two best footy shows on at the moment. It's, it's Monday Night Classified and Wednesday Night Classified. Mm. Um, just just the makeup and how they all interact with each other, and I think it's very good. I think they're doing. I think that that's that's must watch television at the moment. Those two shows. They're probably the only two I I try and catch every piece of. Mm. Um. No, the, th- the, the you know, like there's two of them are still right. One of them still running around the AFL. One of them still on an AFL list. Um, the three unanimous uh, rising star winners were Jared Rivers in 2004. Okay, Melbourne was a good was, player. Was a good player, yes. Um, Daniel Rich in 2009. Did he really? Yeah. From pick seven, that that's that's impressive because like he went out of that top three picks conversation and. And really, he's had a remarkable career with one he of has. the best shoes that there is. But I, my memory is that it was clear he was going to be the best first-year player. So he was he was the most AFL-ready player coming into that year. But Nick Nat knew he... That was the Nick Nat draft. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And the other one was Dan Hanabry in 2010. Is that right? Yeah. Got maximum votes. The guys who polled... One vote less than maximum. Nick Rewalt in 2002. Joel Selwood mm. in 2007. Reese Palmer in 2008. Mm. Dyson Heppel in 2011. Jager O'Meara in 2013. Jesse Hogan in 2015. Callum Mills in 2016. And Sam Walsh in 2019. They're all one vote off being unanimous. I remember Reese Palmer. Remember the Cyril Rioli managed one vote. And and G Willick has, was that bloke on the money. <laughs> <laughs> But um, oh look, whatever the rising star voting ends up looking like, because it it sounds like a unanimous win is is no guarantee of a um, a, you know, an unbelievable career. I, you know, and and famously we 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 overshoot on first year players constantly, um, and I think the media narrative has been built to, uh, you know, chip away at Dacos a little bit until it got impossible to ignore. But yeah. Nick Martin kicks five goals on debut and and was magnificent in the early part of the year for Essen while they were faltering. Um, De Conning looks every bit like a um, you know a, a lock for a, a key position at Geelong for the next ten years and um, has been magnificent. Um, you know, Joe Newcomb, uh, huge success from the mid-season draft and and um, in fact in the Collingwood Hawthorne game which was a- around about the time that Dacos began to assert his dominance um, Newcomb was fantastic in the wet and and pulled pulled Hawthorne back into the game it's a good field it is but... there was a great moment on Saturday night where Nick kicked it to Josh I think yeah and the immediate yeah. the immediate popped into my head was the old Jack Dye quote he's a good player the Cracker Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they just but, um, one one always knows where the other one is. Um, Nick Dacos is the, of, yeah. Nick, Nick Dacos is the wrong hill to die on in terms of the father son because, um, if you didn't have the father son rule, Collingwood would not have traded pick two, or mm-hmm. wouldn't have traded their first round pick. They would have got pick two, and North Melbourne would have picked Horde Francis, and Collingwood just would have picked Nick Dacos. So. 
it's the, it's the wrong one. But you know who we'd pick to? Sam Darcy, who the Bulldog we haven't seen from the Bulldogs, but he's the son of Luke Darcy, and you know no one else had access to him. And um, my thoughts are well known on <laughs> the father son rule. Um, I, I, I think it I think it just solidifies our uh, our our place in the sporting world as a anachronistic oddity. By rights, so, they should have a very good AFLW team, though. If uh, if the rumours, well, not the rumours. We've had picked if, if it, this. This is great about the father daughter rule. Um, we've picked two father daughters under the rule, and um, they are the daughters of a bloke who played three hundred and twenty three games and the bloke who played one game. <laughs> so it's um, Dean Matthews, um, who grew up with a bloke I played footy with at Brun- at Elstonwick. And um, and Nathan Burke's daughter. So yeah, nice. So um, and the, and the nice, you know, the, the AFLW's fixtures just been released. So um, hopefully the girls and killed the girls can have a better season than they did last season, where it took them a while to get going. But um, I'm of the opinion that until they're playing the same length season at the same time as the men. We, we haven't quite got there. So, but um, it'll be a long to their journey. arm. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. It'll be a long journey, but you know, we needn't look much further than the, than the Aussie girl cricketers to see what's, uh, what's possible. And Sam Absolutely. Kerr, in and fact, once you, once you got, mm. once they got serious uh, and the, uh, the female, the administrators with regards to the female cricket team, probably the first one to get serious. Mm. Um, there's a reason why at least Perry plays cricket and not professional football. Mm. Um, then that's what'll happen. Um, I mean, Sam Kerr's on the record as saying that she, if there had been an AFLW when she was growing up, she'd be a footballer and not a soccer player. So, oh, just come back and come back and play one year, Sam. Having said that, she is she's she is to women's soccer what Lauren Jackson is to women's basketball. As in, oh yeah, they just they're not playing the same game. Um, no, and nor is Nick Dacos just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, so we 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 we've talked about North Melbourne. We've talked about Nick Dacos. I held, you know, kept my powder dry on the father son rant. We'll keep that for another time. Um, any incredible predictions for the last seven weeks of the season, minus a game? Um, who who? who do you agree that the Bulldogs can't make the finals? Or I mostly finals? do. I mostly do because they they just have made mistakes at every turn in this campaign. They they every time their destiny was in their own hands, they kind of cooked it. And they're a really interesting watch now going into um, this off season. Their um, remaining fixture, um, the next five weeks is brutal. It's at Sydney, St Kilda. Melbourne uh, at Geelong uh, from Antle. Mm. And then the last two games at home to GWS, who are who are not great this season, but those two teams have a genuine dislike of each other and rivalry. Mm. And then Hawthorne in Tasmania, which is no lay down Mazir. Yeah, that's um, a rough draw. And you know, they're a game in they're they're a game off Sydney and Richmond, and they've got Sydney this week. They lose to Sydney this week. They're two games out of the eight, essentially. Um, which, it should uh, be said though that like, it, like Geelong has made their draw 
look good because they've taken down Melbourne tonight and because they've they've won against good opponents. And I I think my rant could actually be draw related, and I'd need to go and do some research before we dived into this. We'll just have a draw slash father son podcast, um, <laughs> maybe in uh, November, book you know before we'll, the we'll, cricket to, starts and when. No, the but to keep it to keep the proper theme of what will we try to achieve, we'll 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 travel to an aged care facility <laughs> and we'll do it there, so that we can just we because we're gonna we're gonna talk like old men, yeah, um, who. Wish for the good old days. Anyway, sorry. No, but I, I, I do feel we, there, there's a lot of whinging that goes on about the draw. But for, for all of that, we can't, we can't seem to tip nine every week. Like, every time we do a ladder predictor, we're only off by about thirty games. I just and, looked at my ladder from the start of the season. I think I'm, I've got three out of the top eight. It's horrific. It's yeah. My all time. I'm in. I'm in the long grass. Yeah, and and it's just it's silly. If you have a moment, and this will, this is where I'll build my research from for that podcast if we ever get to do it. But um, have a look at Collingwood's 2010 draw, and 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 the season we were coming off a draw, a, a really tough draw can make a footy club. So I, I'm I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm, I'm sick I of hearing about it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I you got to play good sides and you got to beat good sides, and once you uh, do, you you're a good team. I'm. Keeping in mind that Max Barry of Squiggle wrote an article four years ago called How St Kilda Gets Screwed by the Fixture Every Year. Mm. Um, I'm 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 a bring it on guy. You've got to beat him at some stage. The the everything you want is on the other side of hard. You've got to try, you've got to knock off these teams at some stage. So if we're gonna play seven finals or whatever it is um between now and the end of the season, then that that's what needs to happen. You'll you'll you get your reps, and you, if you make it, you deserve to make it. And you battle hardened. So, and when you when you beat no one, that's the narrative, you know. And it and it it's annoying if you yeah. if you haven't played any any decent teams, but you've gone on a bit of a run. And what yeah. and the reason no one can really have a crack at Collingwood at the moment, whatever whatever you call what's happening down there, is mm. that we've beaten Melbourne Frio away and Carlton in the last six. So it's. It's it's a run of merit, and we've tested ourselves against good teams. So Fair yeah, enough. like that's I like it. Next draw. four games for Collingwood: North Melbourne, uh, Adelaide, Essendon, and Port Adelaide. So, <laughs> well, that's it. And we, but West Coast knocked us off. So yeah, there's, you won't you won't hear us get ahead of ourselves. We won't hear me get ahead of myself. Certainly, I remember that we finished seventeenth, and. And but you know the, the the run of six has merit because there's good teams in there. But you know by no means are we a Monty. I just feel like you've just got to you got to turn up and win whoever whoever you're playing against. So top eight at the moment: Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane, Frio, Carlton, Collingwood, Richmond, Sydney. So my, my final question is in two parts: one, does St Kilda make finals, and if so, who do they replace? Uh, give me St Kilda's draw. St Kilda's draw is Fremantle, Western Bulldogs, West Coast in Perth, Hawthorne, Geelong in Geelong, Brisbane, Sydney, both in Melbourne. Uh, you'd have to you'd have to think that they won't, but if uh, but that's a, a lovely stretch for my last uh, little rant. In yeah. that if you get there, you'll have earned it. Um, yeah, there was a time there where they looked firmly entrenched in the eight, um, and so did Carlton. Um, 
and 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 based off this last chunk of time, I reckon they're probably the two sides. Uh, although if Carlton can welcome Weedering back, they look so good on paper, and Voss has done a great job. So um, they really did kick away Friday night. They kicked ten eighteen. Um, that's right. They they probably should have won the game the minute Howard went down. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get I didn't get to have a, a close look at that game, but I I saw the scoreboard and and wondered that very thing. Um, Sydney are a, a, <laughs> they're they're flaky. Um, I've I've heard it described a little bit that they're they're suddenly not. You know, we we, we all know what Sydney football uh, is traditionally. We all know what. Um, those those tough, hardened Sydney teams, you know, have done. You, you've referenced that they've barely mm. missed the finals for, you know, twenty plus years, and they they've done that by being a brutal football team, uh, the team you do not want to play against, the team you pull up sore from playing against. Um, if they want to discover some of that, I reckon they need Heaney and Mills on ball permanently. Um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of really nice players at that footy club, and I actually feel like, you know, if I'm buying shares in in teams, then then Sydney's one of them. Um, but they're they're flaky this year, and they can drop a they can drop a game to a, an ordinary team. So, you know, if, if St Kilda can can win enough games, you know, and it's a reasonably big if, but you'd have to be looking at the Swans, wouldn't you? Mm. And they play each other in the last game of the season. So mm. I tend to, I, I, I struggle to get around the fact that I think that game will be an elimination final and will mm. find its way um, to either the Saturday night or, or the Sunday afternoon on Channel 7 as the big game on that last round. So mm. it'll be interesting to see. We will get back together to talk some more football, hopefully, in that pre-finals bye week. Um, the only other thing, and I, 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 this is what smart broadcasters do, Cameron, is, <laughs> if you haven't heard, is they wait until the end to give the people what they want, right? Yes. So we're, 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 we're well into the season, we've played 16 rounds, we've got seven left, so it's. I just wanted to let the people know at home, it is a two-horse race in the AFL player rating, Brownlow. Hey. Um, between the defending champion, Tuke Miller, and Kane Oliver, who are both on 20 votes. And the there big news go. is Oliver has just polled two votes in tonight's game. So the votes tonight, Guth, Cameron Guthrie, three, Clayton Oliver, two, Max Gorn, one. Mm. So Oliver and Miller, before tonight, both on 20 votes, Bontempelli and Petrarca, seven votes behind them. Wow. And uh, Patrick Cripps. So um, Lockie Neal nowhere. Lockie Neal is just in the top 10. It's, okay. you know, there's, there's probably... 14 players within three votes of each other from 13 votes to 10 votes. Bonton, Pelly, Petraga, Crips, Crisp, Liberatore, um, Jeremy Cameron, Isaac Heaney, Lockie Neal, Jordan Ngoi, Josh Kelly, Jackson McRae, Taylor Walker, who the player ratings just continue to love, and Jared Witts. So, of, of that list, of that Gordon list, would be with them be, now. Wouldn't it be great to see, um, Liberatore win a brown though. 
It would. Is there, this, we haven't. We've never had a. Have we haven't had a father son. I feel like I sh- I'm the sort of person who should know whether we've had father son. <laughs> Brandline Metal. So, well, yeah. I mean, uh, Gary Ablett Senior never managed one, so that. Was I don't think he ever went our, near one. Yeah, it's probably our, our our best hope. Probably because he didn't mind belting bikes. So, um. Yeah, that, that's an inter- interesting list and an, an interesting leaderboard because I think I had Miller for my preseason Brownlow medalist, and you certainly wished you certainly wished it. Yeah, so. and I don't, I don't know whether I've watched him have that kind of year. I would have said mm. that 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 last year was by far and away a better year for Took Miller, but you know there is that thing of of umpires playing catch up. Um, and suddenly awarding votes to a guy that's been doing it consistently. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, Judd won Swan's Brownlow, and then Swan won Judd's Brownlow. Yeah, so um, just just looking on the actual odds for the actual Brownlow, which is obviously not as prestigious as the AFL player rating Brownlow, yeah. um, Oliver and Neil are joint favourites. So, yeah. um, and Andrew Brayshaw, who's nowhere in the player rating Brownlow, is is on the next line of betting. So like two, Brayshaw. Two, Took's at twenty to one. He's at twenty one dollars. So it's a nice bet. Um, it's a nice bet. It'd I, be I, mag- it'd be wonderful. He yeah. might be the best link up player in the history of the league. Yeah, he's uh, he's great, he, and he if he plays he, in a completely different way to every other midfielder, and he's so good at it. Mm. It's um, he's wonderful to watch. Just how he just connects with his, you know, and moves the ball accurately, but not. There's no jaw dropping. It's just you know, award winningly competent. Yes, and I mean that in the neat. most wonderful sense. I, yeah, I don't, yeah, that is a backhanded compliment. But um, I mean, I think before he was, we we sort of got a sense that he he had something about him because he made the Q clash exciting when Gold Coast were well, when both sides were pretty ordinary, and that he he and he and Dane Zorko just had these absolutely cracking one on one battles, and they hated each other. And, and yeah, I, you know, you, you just wondered about this bloke who you didn't really know. And then he, he turned himself through hard work, presumably, into a, you know, a genuine star of the comp. And as you say, a unique player. Jack Crisp is at 100 to 1. Yeah. He, he of the many, many games in a row. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to find where that is. I, 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 I don't do a, a podcast without AFL tables open. Um, hasn't missed for the pies, Jack Crisp, and is yeah, he's a remarkable player. And current for, consecutive game, we go 178 in a row. Yeah, and for the first for the 50. first half of this year, he was our best player, and you know I think he'll he'll go close to back to back best and fairest. Um, but there's a bloke on a little hot streak. Um, 50, 52 games ahead of number two on the current consecutive games list, which is Clayton Oliver, who's played 126 in a row. I was I like about fact- to say that though. Like, I think he's just about unbackable for the Brownlow. Actually, if we're talking in real terms, I think it's Oliver's to lose. Yeah. But he he copped a fair kick in the thumb, and and if he's broken it, he's going to miss um, weeks. He'd he'd have to miss weeks, and and that could make the Brownlow interesting. But I, if Oliver and Neil are equal favourites, I want Oliver at the moment. Special shout out to the bloke who's number eight with a bullet on the current consecutive games list. The accountant, who hasn't missed a game since he got drafted by the Mighty Saints, Callum Wilkie, plays 79 yeah, games in a row from starting his career. Anyway, we've we've certainly had a good chat. 
and talked about footy. And I hope everyone who's listened right throughout the podcast has really enjoyed it. All the first time listeners, you know who you are. Um, but we will chat again after the finals. Oh, sorry, after the home and away season when we'll break down who's going to win the premiership and look at our pre-season predictions and I'll go into witness protection because it's so bad. So, <laughs> Cameron, always a pleasure. Thanks very much. Good on you, Pana. No worries. And until next time, which might be a little while, until next time, I'm Andrew Lewis. This is the podcast, It's Your Go With Hat, saying we'll catch you next time.